there's a uh, trend on social media going around. I don't know if it's TikTok or Twitter or whatever. I can't remember now. But uh, and everything's a trend, right? I mean, where two or three people tweet something is a trend. I, but whatever, uh, th this trend is called romanticize your life. And whatever that sounds like to you, the vibe that it's talking about is to kind of celebrate the small pleasures of life. You know, not to, to have like the, the getaway vacation to the beach and all that kind of stuff, the, the dream vacations, right? It's not about that. It's about, you know, just enjoying a cup of tea or just uh, enjoying some fresh flowers, enjoying the sunset, just to kind of get into those everyday moments and maybe even enhance them a little bit, but to appreciate them. And as we turn to James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, we're skipping 11 and 12. We'll, Lord willing, deal with that in a couple weeks with another section. But as we look at James 4, 13 to 17, we kind of see a similar idea, at least the, the spirit of that idea of just uh, not stressing out, uh, not living without dreams, but maybe a little more realism and less obsessing about the future. And whether those obsessions or concerns are, are rooted in the pandemic or, or seeking our own pleasure, whether they're about business or, or best friends, whether they're about politics or peer pressure, James here in these few verses offers us a path to confident decision making. And it has something to do with romanticizing your life with focusing on the essentials and and the mundane and the routine and yet it also allows for some big dreams and plans but it brings it together in a way that I think if we listen carefully leads us to live confidently less anxiety more hope and what is it well let's dig in James chapter 4 verses 13 through 17 of God's holy, infallible, life-giving, life-sustaining word. James 4, 13 and following. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. This is God's Word. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, that it is trustworthy and true, that it can change us and sustain us. And we pray, O oh Lord, that it would give us life, it would give us hope, it would give us encouragement and clarity in the midst of really uncertain times. 
We pray with confidence you'll do that because we look to your word, trusting your spirit to work, and we come in the name of Jesus. Amen. Do you feel, still feel like uh, every decision you make has a lot of weight to it? Like, like there are hardly any easy decisions. I really felt that during the pandemic, right? There were like just everything was weighty. And I don't think that's gone away very much. In fact, it was actually a problem before the pandemic that especially uh, younger generations were dealing with where they, they wanted to make a big impact on the world, but in fact would be kind of paralyzed by that because there's so many options to pursue. And, and that, that threat of, well, what if I pick the wrong one and go down the wrong path? Can I ever get back to where I was? And so it would often just stifle any movement. And then the pandemic comes along and it's like, you know, the, the little child walking down the street could potentially kill me because they're carrying a, 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 a virus. And it just spews out of their mouth, right? Like these are the, it's like, so do I even go outside? Do I wear a mask? Well, if I wear a mask, are people going to think I'm with this political affiliation? If I don't wear a mask, are they going to think that? If, if, I, if I wear a mask, if, if they don't wear a mask, they could, what? Just all of those weights. And do I go to the grocery store? Go outside. Am I breathing? What's wrong with my breathing? <sighs> Can I breathe? It's, you know, what? Am I going to make somebody else sick? And that hasn't changed a whole lot. And it seems like, so many decisions just have this weight. And what will happen if I choose wrong? In an uncertain environment like we live in, like we have lived in and we will continue to live in, what happens is we tend to overcomplicate every decision and life becomes even more uncertain. So how do you simplify decision-making? It's one of the beautiful things about Scripture is that it kind of just cuts through the noise and gives tremendous clarity. And in this case, James does, in a kind of surprising way, I, I think, with verse 17 and how it fits, that there is a path to confident decision-making right there in verse 17, and, and it's going to sound simplistic, but it actually echoes a profound theme of all of the wisdom literature that you will read in the Scriptures. Proverbs and Job, Ecclesiastes, multiple Psalms, this simple truth. Are you ready for it? Look again at verse 17. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. You, you want to distill that down a little more. In other words, you want to make better decisions. You, you want to have some more confidence in your decisions. James is saying, do what is right. Does that give you a warm fuzzy? Maybe that raises some questions. Right, what is right? <laughs> What does that mean? Well, we're going to look into that. But I just want to pause for a second before you just dismiss that truth and recognize that if you've read the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, the preacher, very likely to be Solomon, King Solomon, he tries so many ways to find joy and, and peace and, and pleasure and 
uh, indulgence and business and profit and all those kind of things, right? He spends all this time on that. And the end of the matter he reaches at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes is not despair or discouragement because he hasn't found ultimate meaning in those things and purpose. The end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, fear God and keep his commandments. That's essentially the, the sum total of life. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what's the chief end of man, the, the purpose of man? Is to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Those things are so, in a way, simple, but they're also liberating. If we can, if we can unpack that, develop it some more, to understand what it means, do what is right. It's what James is saying. It's a challenge to act. It's a, it's, a, it's a challenge for us to act. It's a challenge for us to do, which is one of James's main themes, right? Your, your faith without works is dead. James is saying, do stuff. Don't, don't not do stuff, but get moving even when there are so many options. Do what is right. Even when you might fail, do what is right. Even when there's a risk to your reputation or to, to whatever, do what is right. And as you seek to do what is right, as you take this path to confident decision-making, James gives two important perspectives, maybe even boundaries for us. One's negative and one is positive. A negative to avoid and a positive for us to embrace. So let's look at that, that first, the, the negative. And that is to avoid the problem of presumption. We see that in verse 13 and verse 16, this problem of presumption. And it, we need to clarify a couple of things of, of what presumption isn't. Presumption is not your plans, okay? It is not sinful to plan. James says something in verse 13 that might lead you to that. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and we'll spend a year there and we'll do business and all those kind of things, right? His, his issue is not with making plans. He says later what? You ought to say, if the Lord wills. He says, the problem is your pride. We'll get to that in a second. God is not against plans. God is, in fact, very much a God of intentionality, a God of plans. You just look at creation in Genesis chapter 1. He meticulously prepares an environment one step at a time. He could have just brought it all into being at once, right? And just boom, running. But he meticulously brings about you know, light and dark. He brings about the ground and he brings about the, the sky and the water and he separates and brings about this form of life and that form of life, and then he gets to the man and the woman and puts them in place. Like God, just even in that, just kind of unfolds this plan over multiple days in creation. And not only that, but then, you know, not long afterwards, when Adam and Eve rebel against God's plan, they're actually rebelling against God's plan, God's order. He said, Eat from anything, but not that tree. That's a plan for their lives. And they said, I don't want your plan. God, I want my plan. 
In fact, I'm going to listen to this snake who comes along and tells me I should eat of it, and I'll say, it looks good, and I'll go my own way. I'll make my own plans as opposed to your plans. Well, what's God's response to that? He has a plan. A plan to rescue foolish and rebellious human beings. That plan that He has had in place since before creation. Before the foundation of the world, Ephesians tells us, Ephesians 1.4, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He has a plan. A rescue plan. He had a creation plan. He has a rescue plan. He has a plan for our lives. Shows a lot of order. We could go on, but that I think is sufficient to say planning in and of itself is not a problem. In fact, failure to plan is. You know, Jesus talks about counting the cost. Jesus talks about thinking of the consequences. That's a motivation to obey in multiple instances, right? Children, honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you. That's a plan. So the problem is not your plans. Might be tempting to say, well, then the problem is maybe your profits that, that you want to gain. You could understandably see that in verse 13 as he says, Come now, you say, today or tomorrow, we will go and engage in business and we will make a profit. Right? That word profit there is the same one Jesus uses when he says, what will it profit a man, Matthew 16, 26, if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Does Jesus have a problem with profit, with gain? What's he saying there when he says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? He's saying, what, what is the gain do you get by gaining as much as possible, even the whole world, all the material riches or whatever it is that you're wanting, yet at the same time you lose what is most important, your soul, your relationship with God, your relationship with others. Jesus is actually, in that expression, making an argument for a proper perspective on gaining. Saying, don't seek material gains to the degree that it hurts your soul. In essence, he's saying greed is the problem, not gain. In fact, Jesus speaks positively of gain in, in numerous times. A little while later in Matthew, in chapter 25, in the parable of the talents. Right? The whole message is the guy got one and didn't do anything with it, but buried it. And the others, whether they had five or three, used those and gained more. Jesus consistently talks about growth. He uses agricultural pictures, word pictures about abundances of harvest and fruit, which often is talking about our works and doing good, but it's always with this underlying thing that you have been entrusted with finances, use them wisely. You've been entrusted with a physical body. You've been entrusted with time, with gifts and abilities to use them appropriately, not abuse them. 
So engaging in business to make a profit is not the problem. That is not presumption. Planning is not presumption. What's in view as we speak of these plans and profits is using them in God-honoring ways, which always starts with an acknowledgement that God is God and you are not, which is where we get to the problem of your pride. God is God. I am not. Look at verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Uh, With that verse, James says, you know, how, how did he start it off? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go and will such and such a city and will spend a year there and will engage in business and will make a profit. Right? The, the problem is not the plans or the profits, thinking to the future and wanting to make some money, investing it, gaining and doing business. The problem is the attitude underneath it that has an improper certainty in the outcome. Plans and profits that are made without respect to the fact that God is God and I am not. Boasting here is a sense of bragging. One who speaks big words about himself. Or one whose mouth is too big for his body. Different ways you could translate that. Arrogance is the sense of pride puffed up with no basis in reality. A pretentiousness. Talking about how great you are without really any evidence for that. Perhaps the image James has in mind is the the rich fool Jesus speaks about who had the abundant harvest, crops abundantly, and he says, oh, to himself, what will I do? I know I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger barns and I will have an abundance and I will take my ease. He says I like a dozen times. And what happens? God says, you, fool, tonight your life is required of you. And what's going to happen to all that stuff? That's the issue James is getting at, this, this presumption rooted in pride that makes plans and hopes to gain without reference to God. Essentially, it's practical atheism. It is whether you profess to believe or not, you are acting as if God doesn't matter. And the solution, you know, that's, that's, that's the problem on this extreme this way, is presumption. It's not not plans, not profits, it's pride. The solution, the bounty on the other side, is to embrace the power of providence. We avoid the problem of presumption 
and embrace the power of providence. What's that mean? Well, it means that it's really not about your knowledge. That is limited. Look at verse 14. Your knowledge is limited. Verse 14, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Do I really need to say anything more than March of 2020? You know, we, we watch some YouTube videos of people who go back and talk to their former selves, you know. There was, there's one that's, this language isn't great, so I wouldn't recommend you, I won't tell you who it was, but like, she kept going back, you know, every three months, talking to her former self, maybe three months before, or whatever, and she's like, what now? You know, and it was just like, she was recording those every three months, and it's just like unbelievable to watch it now, like, wow, we went through all that. You don't know, he says, what your life will be like tomorrow. You know, we, in 2019, I've told you guys this before, but I just I keep coming back to it. Just like in 2019, in the fall of 2019, you know, it's like, oh, all of 2019, let's go have an elders retreat. We did a lot of planning. We went away to a hotel for a whole weekend. And we're like, oh, yeah, we had some hard conversations. We prayed. We sang. It was beautiful. Was it not, elders? Was it not? Like, one of the most wonderful experiences I've had in my life. An elders retreat. Just like six or seven of us together praying. Might have been eight of us. All together. Like this whole time, right? It's like, oh, man. Beautiful. And just the sense that, you know what? God is enough. And he's put us here. We'll be okay. We've got a vision. We've got a path forward. We, you know, we went through. We tweaked it and all that kind of stuff. We started rolling it out to you guys. Right, that was fall of 2019. Put it in the annual report with some, you know, a whole big plan, a sermon series of like a dozen sermons. We started kicking that off in early February of 2020. And do you remember the graphic? that I use, a little picture. I remember it real well because people nitpicked my language, okay? It was a, a butterfly, and butterflies come out of chrysalises, not cocoons, y'all. I said a cocoon. And I'm sticking with cocoon, I like that language. No, it's wrong. So it was an image of a butterfly. It's like, oh yeah, we've been in this hard season, we've just been compressed and growth, you know, and now we're really ready to fly. In February of 2020, we didn't even get done the seven-week series unpacking that vision before God said, no, get back in that, God said chrysalis, because that's the right thing, right? He said, get back in that chrysalis. You're not done. You, you need to grow. There's a lot more to go on. You, you, need, to, you need to cocoon. I don't mean get in the cocoon, right? Butterflies go into chrysalises. Chrysalis, probably get some, whatever. Somebody will tell me later. Then what? What do we do in that moment? Did you know the pandemic was coming? 
many pandemics have you, have you lived through? Before 2020? Yeah, right. Did you live through it, Fran? No. Okay. I didn't think so. Because you're only like 30. Didn't see that one coming, did we? What do we do? We could all turtle up, cocoon up, hunker down forever. We could give up, could be utterly discouraged. And if it was based on our knowledge, like if, 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 if the elders and I had been like, we know this is the right way, right? That would be, that'd be miserable. One of the beautiful things is, man, going through that process, we were like, just a sense of God's presence, right? And so then if God's like, that's not the plan, guys, our only choice is to go, okay. Okay. And not be undone by it. Doesn't mean it's easy. Don't hear me saying that. That was hard. Being humbled is always hard. But if you're in a place where you're already holding your plans confidently and loosely because they're not rooted in your knowledge, because you're subjecting them to providence, which is to say that God is God and and you're not, that's not going to undo you. You get undone or you become completely obnoxious and alienate yourself from everyone. You come undone when you are so convinced of your knowledge that even if God Himself showed up, you wouldn't listen. You'd argue. You'd remain convinced you're right. Because it's not our knowledge. Right? That's it's not it's not it's not time. You know? Our time is limited. Verse 14, after saying, You don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. I mean, he could literally mean that tomorrow, by the way. Or like metaphorically, like the day after, or in the future. You just don't know. Verse 14 continues, though, he says, you're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You're like smoke. You're like mist. I think Pastor Dave said a moment ago, you know, cold winter morning. (sighs) Oh, sorry to do that. That panicked you because I breathe. Know what I mean? That cold vapor and then it's gone. That's what he's saying. It's a little test for you. You you had eight great grandparents, right? If you go up, mom's side, dad's side, their mom, their dad, their mom, their dad, right? If you go back, not your grandparents, but your great grandparents, there were eight of them. How many of them can you name? 
of your own great-grandparents. How many of them can you name? They were alive, most likely, on average, right? They were alive uh, probably about 60 years ago. Maybe 80 years ago. Can you name them? Can you name even one? Two, three, four? They, they're hugely responsible for your existence. They shaped your family dynamics. Probably can't name them. I can't, I can't name mine. I can maybe name like one. We're, we're, we're not here for long. And, and the reality is, a hundred years from now, probably nobody is going to remember your name or my name. Probably not even Steve Jobs. They could probably Google him and find out who he was. You think about that, the iPod, iPod, you know, world-changing device. They just decided they're not going to make it anymore in the last week. Apple iPod. Changed music, changed everything, right? 20 years from now, you'll be like, kids, there used to be an iPod. What? We get our music just jacked into our heads now. <laughs> What's an iPod? That's the nature of time. It, it, for us... It's so, so limited. I got this, this, this illustration. This is a rope. Do you tell? I'm going to probably tangle it all up, but... So this is eternity. Pastor suffocates on stage. <laughs> attacked by rope. Okay. This is not really like eternity long. But say, say it was, right? Say it wasn't all knotted up. Like I carefully undid it earlier. And then I stuck it in a bag. There's an illustration in that, too. Like, this is your life. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Grab that for me, Russell. Thanks, man. All right. So say this is eternity, right? That rope goes all the way over there to Russell. Russell got third-degree burns because the pastor hit him in the eye with a rope. So... That grand scheme of things, oh, don't yank it out of my hand, man. That grand scheme of things, you know, eternity, this is your life. This is orange, right? I feel the pull of God on me. No, it's just, oh, it's just Russell pulling the rope. This is your life. You think about eternity, right? This is your life. You know, you're born, you die. Say you live 80 years, 90, 100, 120 years. 150 years, right? This is it in the, in the eye of eternity. This is how much time we get. Now, 
could go a number of directions with that truth, right? And one of them is despair. Because you could be like, I, I cannot make an impact in that amount of time. What use am I if that's all the time I have? Because I've already wasted a ton of it. I've already messed up a bunch of times. What, what good is that? I, I should just give up. You could say the other extreme, i got to work super hard. I can't have any fun. I've got to just do, 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 do. And, and especially if, if you come from a background of kind of legalistic Christian experience that's, that's just like, forget you. You just do God's will. You don't matter. Don't sleep. Don't eat. That's what God wants. That's, that's the other extreme. Either way, you could become like totally despairing or a legalistic jerk. Or, or you could embrace the power of providence, which is not about your knowledge. It's, it's limited. It's not about your time. It is limited. It's about your God, who is unlimited, brothers and sisters, this one who owns this. Let me have that whole thing now. Look, this is God's, right? Like God is bigger. I just put my own eye out. This is bigger than God. I mean, this is God is bigger than all this and like this whole mess. Like he could undo this in a second, right? He'd be like, oh, yeah, that's eternity. This God who holds all of that in his hands, right? You can't even fathom it. This God, he chose to put you here for this amount of time. He chose to put you here in this time to be alive right now. This God, knowing, you know what? That you're going to mess up. Knowing that you're going to have issues. Knowing that your impact is going to be limited. But He puts you here anyway. What are you going to do with that? James says, do what's right. Do what's right. Don't let this limited time discourage you and keep you from doing what is right. Don't let this limited time make you a maniac who forgets that you do only have this much time. Do what is right. How do you know what is right? Well, you know what's wrong is saying it's all up to me. Which leads to, to not only just obnoxious legalism that crushes, it also leads to despair. That's the same thing. Say it's all up to me. That's not it. It's not all up to you. I was thinking through this message this week and um, hadn't quite solidified a few, a few things Friday morning. I was like, mm, you know, there's something, I, I wish there's something more to it. And I'd spent a good amount of time. I had some good progress on the message. I was still thinking, boom, into my inbox Friday morning comes a parenting newsletter that I get every week. And I just look at it and I was like, oh, wow. Read the first part. Oh, wow. Second part, meh. Third part, oh, wow. 
You know, there, there, are, there were like two profound insights that related to this message today in that newsletter. And, and what, it, what it reminded me is, is I'm, I'm working on this message about providence. As I'm working on a message about my limitations and your limitations, as, as I'm working on a message that says, you know what, my time is limited, my knowledge is limited, I, I was reminded, you know, it is not all up to me. It's not all up to you. In fact, God, God, is, God has given you so many capable people in your life. Children, your parents, they seem like aliens, they don't know what they're doing, whatever, but God has put them there in your life. Try to listen to them. Children, I mean, parents, God has given you the children he's given you. Because <laughs> he loves you. Love them. Do your best. You only have this much time. Think about that. What are you going to do with it? You know, I have found that, you know, think of that newsletter. I recognize it's not all up to me, and I realize that God is more often with me. I experience him with me more often than not when I'm doing what he wants me to do. And my particular calling is week in and week out to preach. And it's, it's, it's always kind of in the back of my mind. And I have seen there's always a message coming up. And then, you know, I would like to get my rhythm a little further out and planning and things. But I have seen consistently that when I'm just making tiny progress, you know, not, not trying to hit the home run. I'm just trying to hit the singles. You know, I'm just trying to get the, 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 the ball connected, uh, the bat connected to the ball, Right. I have found, if I am at all aware, if I'm at all paying attention, if I am at all aware that God is still God, and he's working in my life and in the world around me, and he's got a plan, he's unlimited in his ability, that if I'm doing what he wants me to do, there's going to be stuff that pops up that's like, wow, huh, hmm. I saw this very early. I was blessed by God's grace, to see this when I was preaching in, in rural churches outside of St. Louis to learn how to preach, right? I'm going out 60, 70 miles away from St. Louis early on a Sunday morning to preach to like three people, right? And they, none of them could, could hear. They were all really old, and they always sat in the back row. I was in this one rural church, right? They, they, the pews were like as long as ours. They, they had like five people. They were all pretty old, and they had a sound system that they had bought, like a karaoke machine thing, so that they could hear. They could still say in this back row. It was, it was funny. They've been sitting there their whole lives. Oh, man. I'm sorry. That was a digression. But what I learned was, even if it was like three people or 10 or 20 or 60 or whatever, right? If I went there early enough, and if I knew what I was going to be speaking about, if I paid attention to what the people were talking about, if I paid attention to what their prayer requests were, if I looked at their bulletin boards with an eye to God has put me in this place to do the things 
that He's equipping me and training me and calling me to do, then there's going to be stuff for me to do that's going to be supremely relevant. And I would see stuff on their bulletin board. I would hear just a small conversation, and I would be able to reference that in the message or to make the prayers that much stronger to do what God had called me to do. And I'm not saying that at all as like, oh, hey, Mike's so great, isn't he? Like, it's to say that God is that great. God used a really poor, and my sermons were completely boring, like, and long and tedious. Now they're just long and maybe not as boring, whatever. But like, but God, that, that, is the, that is the God we have, this unlimited God who knows, who knows this is all the time you have. And you know what he's given to you? He's given to you a big team. He's given to you his word. He's given to you his spirit. If you are trusting in Jesus and you are willing to say, you know what, that is all the time I have. It's not up to me. Ultimately, it's up to Jesus. And in Jesus, I know that even though this tape ends right here, that my life is going to keep going. Because this is just the physical material realm right here where I get my shot, right? And when this happens, if my confidence and faith is in Jesus, I, I get like a way better tape. You know, I don't know what it's going to look like. But I, I get to be the fully human person that God intended for me to be. I get to live all of this time, all of this eternity, not because I knew something, not because, oh, I did everything, not because of anything else, but because of God's grace. This is the God that we have. He's unlimited. He is the God who will take a messed up person and will pour his grace into them and make them effective in whatever it is they're calling them, he's calling them to do. That God is with you. Don't presume on that. Right? That's not an excuse to do no work. It's, it's to say confidently step out. Even if you're not completely sure, even if you don't have it all planned out, which you never will, but if you are willing to say, God, I've made some plans, I've prayed, I've talked with other people, I've consulted other Christians, I've looked at your word, I have trusted you, Lord, I'm going to take one step. God will meet you in that. God will be with you. It might not feel like what you expect. It might be that he shoves you back in that cocoon. Chrysalis. To then come out later. That's what he's calling you to do. That is why it is so clarifying to say, you know what? Here's how I make a better decision. What do I do? Do what is right. Really, there's a lot of room in that. Do what is right. Avoid pride and presumption. Do what is right. It's not up to you, but it's your unlimited God who's at work in and through you. Do what is right. Reflect on, on, on who you are. Ask other people for input on that. Ask, you know, reflect on where God has put you. What are those broad boundaries God has given? What's the wisdom that you need? Pray, get input from other Christians, and then do what is right. Now, some of you, that's going to mean you stick around afterwards, even though you're kind of like, oh, I wasn't sure if God wants me to be on the music team or not. I don't know. Go to the meeting today. Right? That's today, right, Justin? Go to the meeting today. That's not a commitment. That's one step. Listen. Pray. Justin, be happy to talk to you about whether he thinks, yeah, this is a good time or not. Talk to your spouse. Some of you is going to mean come next week to the Camp Treasure Island meeting. 
I don't know if I work with kids. I don't know if, you know, if I'm going to be available. You know, if there's all a, thing, at all a little thing in your head going, I wonder if I should do it. Because you know what happens if you don't do it, and you should have done it, it's sin. Just be safe, right? Ask people. Ask your spouse. Ask your friends. Ask your parents. Ask your children. There's other ways you could unroll that, unpack it, consider them. And in the end, you avoid that problem, presumption, and you can embrace the power of providence. Do what is right. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, Help us to just embrace that very, very simple and yet almost too simple truth of of doing what is right. Lord, help us to own just the the reality of of your presence, your your, your providential care for us, Lord, that that it's not up to our knowledge. It's not about how much time we have. It's it's your, your unlimited nature. You know us. And you've called us, each one, with a purpose. Lord, let us not even beat ourselves up considering, oh, what is my purpose? Well, you know, i got to find the right exact purpose, one Lord. Help us to do what is right, to step forward, just even one step. Whatever that next thing is you have for us, Lord, give us the courage to do it and meet us there, Lord, in your grace. Give us what we don't deserve. Give us, just give us confirmation one way or the other. Stuff us back in the chrysalis or just, Lord, lift us up with encouragement not to the point that we get proud, Lord, but to the point we know this is what you want us to do. We will give you the glory. And we will sleep better. We'll be less anxious. And we'll be more effective in the things you called us to do. Individually and as a church, we pray in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.